to the Cross the Line Podcast. My name is Carlos Smith. Today I have some very special guests with me today. Um, right now, I'm sitting with Chief Alonzo Thompson, Major Art Little John, and, that, and Captain Sue. We're right down here in uh, Spumberg City Hall. So how are you gentlemen doing today? First of all, I want to just thank you gentlemen for taking the time out to sit with us because right now with so much going on, it's kind of a pivotal time in our country. Um, you know, with the killing of George Floyd's bothered a lot of people. And I know you gentlemen have been having a lot going on with protests and everything. But first thing I want to know starting off was what was your reaction when you first, initial reaction when you first saw the video of what happened to George Floyd? Well, I just said it's sick of me because I saw a man that died senseless. Mm-hmm. It's been doing this a long time. The building this training that I had entering law enforcement Maybe 36 years ago, and those kids on training now. Mm-hmm. Never taught that technique, nor what I've been taught that technique. Right. Uh, that I saw deployed in this field. So uh, it was very disturbing. Uh, I wouldn't go as far as say the name, both professionally and as a black man. I, I was frustrated, angry, all those things. One, because I knew. One, first and foremost, that this gentleman lost his life. Mm-hmm. Before I say anything else, prayers to the family and all those that are impacted by his loss. Um, and professionally, I was upset about it because I knew that we would be painted with that broad brush, negative brush. Mm-hmm. Because I truly believe in my heart of hearts that 99% of the people that go out here every day in uniform go up trying to do things in the right way, at the right time, for the right reasons. Mm-hmm. But the bad, Poor decisions, inappropriate conduct that was you, uh, makes it makes the hard job even more difficult. Absolutely, Jim. Same. I, 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 I feel the same way. Um, been in this line of work for 25 years now. Um, we work hard on trying to establish relationships in our community here in Spartanburg. Mm-hmm. Uh, do we fall short sometimes? Absolutely. Um, but seeing the video and knowing what was going to come next, um, black male lost his life, uh, Mr. Floyd, um, and all of the ramifications from that, how it was going to affect law enforcement, how it was going to affect our community, how it was going to affect his family. Uh, we knew this, what we're seeing, and rightfully so. I mean, the protests that are happening, absolutely. We get it. We understand it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need some reform. We need things brought to the forefront. But it angers us in law enforcement. You mentioned it, you angered some people. It angered everybody. Everybody who watched that video should have been upset. Absolutely. Everybody should have been upset. Um, but those of us that are in law enforcement, and again, uh, if you want to talk about the breaks, those of us who are black males in law enforcement, we knew what was going to come next. And uh, we're fighting with that every single day. And it's an internal fight that we have every day. Right. We see those kind of things happening out there. Absolutely. You know, for me, uh, we often say here at the police department that we're in a life-saving business. Uh, that's our motto. We're in a life-saving business. We're about saving lives. And mm-hmm. so when we see something like that happen, we understand immediately uh, that's going against what we actually believe. And so we know every day that when we have a loss of life, that person belongs to somebody. It's somebody's dad. Uh, and we know that now that it was absolutely somebody's dad, mm-hmm. uh, somebody's brother. Uh, we know those things. And so we know the hurt and pain that's going to be there. And then at the hands of a, a law enforcement officer, when we're in a position to uh, protect mm-hmm. for somebody to, to, to do that. And so we just think about our organization uh, and law enforcement in general as a professional uh, 
professional business and we handle our business professionally. That's why we look a certain way, we act a certain way, not only when we're at work, but we also act a certain way when we're off. And those are the things that's instilled in us from the beginning. Uh, and we don't let the things that we do affect us emotionally. And so you say, well, that, that police officer looked like he didn't have any emotions, he didn't care. We do, uh, we just learn how to not let our emotions determine our actions. And mm -hmm. so yes, we're very disturbed by it because being the professional organization that we are, a credit organization, we know the things that, that this person was doing was not correct. Right. Absolutely. And if, honestly, for me, I was actually on vacation. I was with my family. And uh, when I got back one night, the night before I went back to work, I watched the video. I think I only watched the video twice because it just bothered me so much. And it's just like, man, it's it's ridiculous. Like the stuff that constantly constantly keeps happening over and over. And now we, we're getting this footage of it. And I just want to know for you gentlemen, like what is that? Does that what is your relationship like when you what do you say to your, the white officers here and um, when you see things like that? How how is that conversation with you gentlemen after you see something like that? Is it something that you talk about or is it something just like you just, just kind of shy away from it sometimes? No, 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 no. No, no. When it comes to law enforcement, obviously we believe in having a diversity. Mm -hmm. We want our our agents to look like the community that we serve. We've done a pretty good job of that. We generally have about thirty percent. Right, right now, the service population for our city is 70-30. Seventy percent white, thirty percent black. And our representation, our law enforcement, the officers on the street, matches that number. It fluctuates different now, but it stays right at thirty. Mm -hmm. And if you count our non-zone personnel, uh, that's a flight agency. That number is even higher. But I would just say the conversation is. We have a lot of play like this. We have a lot of policies, procedures, general orders, and whatnot, talking about how to act, you know, treat people uh, uh, based on just regulations. Right. But one thing, and they'll tell you that I've said from day one, I tell people, when you go out and you encounter someone, I don't care what the situation is, if you treat them like you would want an officer to treat your mother, your father, your grandparents, or the person you love most, you can't go wrong. You're not going to cut corners. You're going to be respectful. You're going to you're going to do everything you could possibly do to resolve whatever that situation is, and that's true. I don't care if you're male, female, black, white, old, young. That's the mentality that we have. We're service oriented, and don't get me wrong. You know, it's protect and serve. If someone is posing a threat or harm or causing damage, we, we we do that part too. Mm -hmm. But it really comes down to being respectful uh, of others and being a service to others. And that's our mentality, regardless of race. But we have some open, honest conversations. And absolutely, we do. And like I said, the major and I, we're, we're over the, the uniform patrol uh, division. So the folks that you see in uniform is who report in our shop. Um, outside of just this incident, um, there's been constant com communication with our folks. We do a lot of training, uh, both hands-on training as well as we do a lot of um, viral training. We look at videos. We may look at and study other events that may have happened previously. And we ask each other. How can we do that better? How, what were some of the things that we can learn from this incident? How can we, in our service, be better? What should we have done? What, and that's internal too. You know, look at mm -hmm. some of the things that we have done in the past. How can we learn from those mistakes or some of the things that we've done? How can we tweak them? So the, the conversations are constant. Uh, it doesn't take something of this magnitude to have those honest conversations about race and disparities and all that. We have those conversations. Mm -hmm. Are they uncomfortable sometimes? Absolutely. But you have to have them. No folks Absolutely. And for, for me, one of the things um, I, I tell my friends a lot of times, first, first off, I try to 
I'm staying. I always, I've never been in trouble with anything. And I, I try to keep. I'm keeping it that way. So I never try to come into contact with any police officer unless it's necessarily. I necessarily have to. But honestly, as as a as a young African American, I feel more comfortable talking to you gentlemen because you look like us. You like me and I, my brothers here in the room with me instead of a, a white officer. Just because I don't know which way it's gonna go. Like if I get pulled over for a ticket, I don't know if he's thinking shoot to kill or what. And just seeing those videos is is, is kind of scary because like we we don't know what to do in these situations. Like you see time and time again, unarmed black men were getting killed for nonsense. And just like the way they treated George Floyd, it's like, what what are we supposed to do? We because at times it feel like we're helpless because we're unarmed. We don't know what to do in the situation. We don't know what's going through the officer's mind. If he's having a bad day, or what is it that's making these officers do these type of things? And I don't want to keep monopolizing on but but even when you mentioned about the fear, like you said, you're you're a black male and you get pulled over by a white officer, the unknown that you feel like. Mm -hmm. But guess what? That officer also feels that same way. Mm -hmm. And and so that's part of our training. That's part of this com constant conversation. Because when an officer pulls up and he stops you for a let's say a legitimate traffic violation or something, right? He doesn't know who you are. Right. Uh, and, and and just like you feel uncomfortable because he's a white officer, he may, and I'm just saying, or she may. Feel uncomfortable, and we and those kind of honest uh, conversations need to take place. Some of those honest things is like, hey, it's about the fear that I have for that person that I don't know him or I don't know her. Uh, as law enforcement professionals, we got to be better. We got to understand that we're going to be engaged with folks that don't look like us, engaged with people who may not necessarily come from the same background. Uh, and echoing what the chief mentioned, you're talking about the population. That's why it's so important that we do have. Minorities involved in law enforcement. Mm -hmm. uh, it's very important that we have females. Uh, it's very important that we have folks of other uh, ethnic backgrounds and experiences and, and educational levels, military, to make us as diverse as we can so we can learn and, and, and teach one another. So it's very important. Absolutely. Just give a little pushback. I just, well, just a question. Um, when you talk about fear, should officers, I don't know, should officers even feel any kind of fear because? I get you walking into the unknown. You don't know what's going to happen. But as an officer, it's like, I don't know if you should have fear because when you sign up for this job, you know, it's to serve and protect. So should an officer walk into a situation having any kind of fear when you encounter citizens? There's no We're human. We're human. I mean, right, that, right. You can't take that fear aspect out of someone, period. Mm -hmm. That's 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 in you. And it's... Things of the unknown, we all are fearful of. All of us are fearful of things of the unknown. Now, when you're talking about aspects of human interaction, yeah, I completely understand what you're saying with that. But just how you have that fear as a black male, mm -hmm. another officer that's approaching you, we don't know. We right. don't know. And I don't know if fear is always the right word to use in that, mm -hmm. but when you have that um, sense of, I don't know what's going to happen next, or let me tell you, this happened to me here, this happened to me here. And so as we go throughout our careers, we are engaged with a lot of folks mm -hmm. over a 15, 20 year period. Uh, a lot of those interactions are positive. Most of our interactions that we have are with our public, no matter what ethnic background they have, are positive. But we don't know what's around the corner. And I don't know if fear is the right word, mm -hmm. but that's a natural instinct that all of us have. All of us more an awareness, you know, more alert. Because the relative is, we have a number of officers killed each year in the line of duty. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them are the result of traffic. Uh, matter of fact, you saw always be number one, following Jordan closely behind 
know, domestic violence or warrant service, things along those lines. But when you walk up to their car, I'm stopping you because of the observed behavior. You're speeding, you ran a red light. I don't know that you that the person may be riding dirty or just or got an outstanding warrant on right. or just robbed the store. So when I'm stopping you, I'm stopping you because I think you committed a traffic violation. You're thinking I'm on, you know, that the person I'm stopping, they think they you know that I'm on to them about what they've just mm-hmm. done. And so we have officers before they get to the car and say, now I see your license registration, they don't call around to the chest of the head. Mm-hmm. So you become more alert or aware. But, but again, to your point, right, I would just say this. We are all hired from the communities that you serve. Everybody comes with baggage. The challenge we have is to make sure that that baggage is done at the door and it doesn't interfere with how we in, interact with other people. But we're still human. We try to hire and we'll get this. I think we have a question about the hiring process. Mm-hmm. But yeah. we go through great lengths to try to ensure we have people who are more well-rounded, right? who've been exposed to other people. One of the questions is even asked about your bias mm-hmm. uh, and, and people that we may interview or do background checks to ask about your bias mm-hmm. uh, or interaction with other people where we can maybe make a um, but again, I won't jump the gun on that question. No, no, I, I, that was going to lead right into the next question, too, just talking about like what's the actual hiring process of becoming an officer and working but, in law enforcement. But I will say this you, know, you talk about the you have, not to listen to a lot of young black men ever know what young black men in particular have. Now, I will say this my son doesn't have that because he has autism. Mm-hmm. My son is 5'10, 250. Yeah, I weigh that about 25 pounds. He did good. But if a police tell him to stop or to put his hands up or do something along those lines, he's not going to respond. And his actions may be taken to be not only non-compliant but aggressive or whatever. Because I'll be totally honest with you. You asked me uh, what I saw when I saw George Floyd on the ground. And they, I can't help it. It's in here. It's in here. Like I said, I see my son. Right? Mm. I, I, I truly do. I mean, but that could be Chris. Um, I, you know, I can talk, I can kind of handle myself. I've been around a little bit. Not saying that I'm totally, you know, free of being harmed in some kind of way if I was to stop outside of this uniform, because still, I'm a black man in America too. Absolutely. But, but, I, but people like my son, and they're a lot, autism is becoming even more prevalent. Right. And I worry about him or someone that has some other mental health issues. And, and that's what, that's another part of the training that we get. We take mental health uh, training. We do de-escalation training. Procedural justice, all those things to try to make us where our assessment is better and our interaction and engagement are better and safer for both parties. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so how long does that actual process take with everything that you have to do? Is, is it like a, a long, lengthy process, or how, how long? Yes, yeah. yeah. yeah, so when somebody's interested in law enforcement, First thing we do is we recommend that they do a ride along. Like we talk with you guys mm-hmm. or the Citizens Academy to see is this something that I really want to do? Because it's not for everybody. And you know, we, got, we were talking earlier about the fear that's there. And so you have to think about uh, we have emotions. That's not anything that makes us a superhero other than we just put on a uniform. Uh, I, we talked the other day when we grew up, I worked at McDonald's, he worked at McDonald's. I mean, we worked up in the community, we did regular little things. We right. just happened to get up in law enforcement. Uh, I went to school here, uh, but we have those same emotions. I mean, we have families. Uh, when people die, we, we're upset. We cry. We lose family members. Uh, those things are the same emotions. So that fear or that unknown that you talked about, that's everybody has that. Mm-hmm. The only difference is that, you know, we've been trained a little differently. 
and we put on a uniform and a vest. Other than that, we're the same. We have families. We like to have cookouts. We like to go to mom's house on Sundays or grandmother's house. And, you know, or back turn, we like right. whatever yeah. dinner is, whether or not we can right. on the grill, burgers, dogs, and, and I mean, I'm a hot wing guy. So, me too. you know, people might not yeah. know that, but, you know, just because I'm, I'm an officer, well, that don't mean I, yeah. I, I like some hot wings. Me too. So, so, so we just regular folks. Right. And so when it comes to the, the hiring process, you know, if you're interested in, you'll, you'll put your application in. And so once you put your application in, uh, we'll make we'll do like a little short background and make sure that you don't have any you know criminal stuff in there just to start out. Uh, so then after you you do that and you accept it, it's uh, a test, it's a written test. It's called a Nelson Demi, and it's basically reading the comprehension. Uh, see how well you do on that test because a lot of what we do uh, is not just stopping cars. We, we write a lot of reports. Uh, we got to do a lot of things like that. Most of it is just uh, writing reports, documenting information, making sure you're doing that right because that's how, that's really important. So if you can't write a good report, or you don't have good writing comprehension skills, uh, that's going to be very difficult for you. Mm-hmm. So you get through that process. Uh, then we have what's called a um, physical agility test. Uh, not anything strenuous, just things that you might have to do as an officer. Uh, run, run around a little bit, go up some steps, go over a fence, drag a dummy, things like that is what you do on that, that part. You get through that, uh, then there's your interview process. You interview through what's called the Civil Service Commission, and then there's um, Couple officers on board as well. Uh, they add up your scores. If you pass the uh, interview process, then you go on to the next phase and you get a background booklet. And that's really when it starts. I mean, it's just not starting at that point. So you've taken a written comprehension, uh, you did your physical agility, and your oral interview. And now we're getting started. At that point, you present a booklet. And the booklet is pretty thick. And so to make sure that we get good people, you fill out that booklet. And everything that's in that booklet, we're going to ask you about. And so if you got an ex wife, we're probably going to talk to her. You got an a ex-girlfriend or two or three ex-girlfriends, we're going to talk to them too. And so we're knocking on doors. We're talking to your neighbors. And so we're trying to find out everything we possibly can about you. Uh, the jobs that you had, job experiences, we're talking to them. Uh, we're checking your credit. If you don't pay your bills, then that could create some issues for you because you know you, you go to this person's home, uh, there's nobody there but you. But you know you think, well, there's some valuables there. I'm behind on my bills. I can get a little bit of these things. Mm-hmm. And so we can't have that kind of office. So those are all the things that, that we're doing. As people ask, often ask, well, why are you checking credit? Well, we want to make sure that you follow through on what you say you're going to do. Right. Uh, because we can't have creditors calling up to the police department and say, hey, that officer you got over there, he don't pay his bills. Mm-hmm. And so we, all those things are, are important. Uh, we do a, a psychological. And so you go to Take a psychological exam. We got to fill out a bunch of paperwork and ask you a bunch of questions, sit in front of a doctor and see if you fit for the job. And if the psychological doctor come back and say, you know what, this person, we don't think that they're a good fit, then, then we won't hire them. Hmm. And, and that's, things such as trustworthiness, it mm-hmm. talks about the headquarters, if someone, it may even pick up something to show that they may have some issues with some aggression, uh, aggression uh, issues. Right. Okay. So, mm-hmm. That's real big when it comes to use of force. Mm-hmm. If you have someone that we see respond to frustration or tense, stressful situations with violence, mm-hmm. or those things are those things matter. Mm-hmm. And I would say we've been doing psychological testing for years, here, decades, whereas it was just mandated probably in the past two years for the state, for the state to start doing. Mm-hmm. So again, I say that it's perfect in our hiring, but we do everything we can to try to make sure first and foremost we are I tell the people, I follow people who can learn the job, mm-hmm. but hopefully got the servant's heart and the ability to 
interact with people in a respectful manner even before we talk. Right. You said something the other day, um, Major Little John, where you were talking about when you became an officer, and you said sometimes people would call you Uncle Tom. Mm -hmm. Is that something that bothers you, and you gentlemen as well, you can chime in, is that something that bothers you when you say, people call you, say, a coon or Uncle Tom and stuff like that? I think more than anything, it is hurtful because you are serving the community in which you grew up. Because for me, I never left. I'm mm -hmm. serving the community that which I grew up. And so uh, you're trying to make the community better. Uh, you're responding to a call for service because somebody called for your service. And then when you're dealing with whatever it is, people calling you names, and he's like, you know what? I grew up in this community. I went to the same high school that, that you went to, or your parents went to, or your kids going through. And so, yeah, it, it can be stressful sometimes. Uh, but that's who we are. I mean, uh, it's just a, it's just names for us. We've been called all kinds okay. of names. And so you kind of we've just heard, like, yeah, we've heard every name that, that rolls off. I mean, I mean, we've heard every name. But as a matter of fact, I was talking to an officer about an hour ago, and, and, and this is, and he was a white white male. And I said, you know, think about this. Um, don't let the words or the actions of others change who you are as a person. And I live by that, you know, and sometimes we mm -hmm. do get frustrated. Mm -hmm. You hear those names, the Uncle Tom, but I didn't let that bother me because I knew I was here to provide a service. I was here to protect the community. I was here to serve the community in whatever capacity that may be. And as we have gotten older and it's not just out here, you know, when I say serve the community, it's not just out here answering calls. Uh, some of us are, are coaches. Uh, we're mentors. Uh, we, we volunteer at different organizations, mm -hmm. nonprofits. So we're really ingrained in the community. When I say service, I mean service. Mm -hmm. It's not just hey, we answering your calls for service. No, it's other things that we're doing. So you know, I always used to chime back. As I, again, gotten older, I would chime back with certain people. It's like you know, what are you doing in the community mm -hmm. outside of just pointing the fingers at law enforcement? Right. Which some of the things that we have done, we need to be called out on. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But let's talk about some of the things progressively that we can do as a, as a collective uh, so we can push this community forward. So, yeah, sure. words come our way, but it doesn't bother you mm -hmm. like that. Not especially when I got older. I understand some of the frustrations that folks have. Right. And then I want to tell you about that last piece on the hiring process that I didn't mention was a polygraph. That's a polygraph exam. Uh, and people typically tell the truth on their polygraph. It's, they don't get uh, disqualified. disqualified because they lied on the polygraph. They get disqualified because they told the truth mm -hmm. and they tell the truth about things that they did that they shouldn't have done. Uh, and then for those things, a lot of times we can't hire them as an officer. So if you use uh, needles uh, to shoot up drugs and we can't, can't hire you for that. Right. So, so, or you had. <laughs> and, and, and it's even with, with that, it's, it's not necessarily, you know, I smoked marijuana, right? but I smoked marijuana yesterday before I came here and took the. The test right, right, right. Those right. Kind of, it's been two years Yeah, ago. it's been two years ago. Okay. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. had some life experiences. Okay. Yeah, so, so it's not like, I mean, you can, so so many people smoke weed, so you can smoke weed in the past, but you can't say, well, I smoked it last week and then I sold a little bit on the side as well. Yeah. So we can't help. You see what I'm saying? We can't have Absolutely. it. So you right. may tell the truth on the polygraph and you get eliminated because of that. Right. Okay. And I'll just say this about the day. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see anyone that looked like me in uniform when I was in high school. Okay? And even when I got out of high school and went to college and said, I'm going to get into law enforcement, my family was like, you're going to do what? Because of the historical mistrust, distrust, and even hatred to a certain degree, degree between people that look like me or my family and the police. <laughs> but I've always been of the opinion that if we're going to make change things or make it better, we need to be involved. Right? 
So when I, when I hear people criticize me for what I am, when I know I did it with the intent to help right. who we are in our society, it's hurtful, but it's okay. I'm still going to do what I do because I think it's important. And it's really important to me because I will say this, the generation who, the generations of officers before me, who enabled me to sit here as chief of police today, when they first got hired, they couldn't go in certain parts of the city. They couldn't arrest white people. Mm. They were limited. They could not supervise another uh, or a white officer. Mm. Those types of limitations, you know, back in the 50s and 60s. So to me, out of respect for those trailblazers who recognize who all like us, born with that servant's heart, who are willing to lay down their life, not just for a friend, but people we don't even know. Um, we still do it, no matter what the name, call them, whatever it says, but if you dial 911, we still come. Absolutely. The very people who swear they hate us the most, F the police, all mm -hmm. this and all that, right? But I let something happen. What's the first thing we First one. Somebody call the police. Absolutely. Like I said, the president don't know religion, call proud for God. The president ain't never cursed, curse like a saint. The person mm -hmm. swear they hate us and wouldn't keep on us we were burning. So we we the ones that want that right there. Absolutely. Like I said, I feel like I've never been the type to say ever police because at the end of the day, y'all like you say, y'all job is to serve and protect. And you're not only thinking about me, I have family members. Like if something happens, they need to call y'all. And I, I, like I said earlier, I just feel comfortable, not that I have anything against white officers or anything, but it just like that relatability factor. Like, I just feel more comfortable with you gentlemen because it's just like you're more approachable somebody that looks like me because, like I said, we don't, they don't know what it's like to be black, just like we don't know what it's like to be white. So I feel like it's- But what, but what do you want them to be like though? In both cases, you know what it takes to respect yourself. Absolutely, yes sir. And that's what we preach and teach and yes sir again. I treat well regardless of what you look like, because at the end of the day, you're going to measure me by my actions. Absolutely. Right? Mm -hmm. So if I treat you like I would want an officer to treat my mom, my dad, Absolutely. My, my son, I want to treat you right. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we've drawn into them, mm -hmm. about being professionals, about being respectful. Right? Yep. And, 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 that, and I think that, like I said, I, I make it key for because that's what I kind of live by. I, I simplify mm -hmm. things to the point where it's just easy. So I, I can't forget it. It's right there in front of me all the time. Mm -hmm. If I remember just this one thing in all the books and policies and statutes, if I remember this, I will do my job at high level. Yeah, so I'm going to stick with you real quick, Chief. Like like I was saying, one of the questions I had also um, was like, what is the difference? Like for your position, like what is the difference as like the chief for people that don't know, including myself, what's the difference between the chief and also like Sheriff Chuck Wright? Like what's like the actual difference? Okay, at first, he's an elected official. Okay. Okay. He's elected the sheriff, and he has countywide jurisdiction. So that means every township, every municipality, city in Scarborough County falls in the county. So he technically has, he's the highest ranking law enforcement official okay. in the county. And that's true of any sheriff in, in mm -hmm. okay. um, It's a statutory position that's elected. I'm an appointed official. Mm -hmm. The city manager of this city has appointed me with the blessing of council. Okay. Um, my, the jurisdiction that I have as chief is confined to the city of Spartanburg, mm -hmm. and that's the difference. Now, through memos of understanding and whatever else, we can go out into the county to assist, and obviously they can come to this county to assist us. But we have uh, MOUs and memos of understanding with other municipal governments and police departments in the county. 
Okay. And I just want to say, Sheriff Chuck Wright, if you watch this, you're more than welcome to come sit down and have a conversation. But it's it's one of the things I wanted to know because a lot of us, we don't know, like, the elected officials. Something we need to pay more uh, pay attention to because, like, a lot of times I think we just focus on, like, the man that's in the top office instead of, like, what's going on locally in our communities. So that's why I wanted to kind of figure out what goes on with, with that um, position. But um, something else I want to ask what what about talk to us about a little bit about the body cam? You know, we talked about it a little bit the other day, but can you uh, inform like the listeners about the process like the body cams? Yeah, absolutely. So so all, every officer that's um, out working every day they have a body worn camera, mm -hmm. and so the body worn camera is is on them the entire time that they're working. It's not recording all the time, although we have policies that when they go on calls for service that they turn it off um, because you know you they have to go to the bathroom, they have to do things like that. Some other people say, well. Why an officer's camera doesn't stay on all the time? But there's personal things that you have to do. You don't want to follow them to him or her into the bathroom, right. so they got to have that privacy. Um, so they turn it on when they go for calls for service. Uh, when they go into a call, most of them have gotten to the point where they receive a call over the radio. They go ahead and turn it on while they're en route to, to the call. And so that gives them an the opportunity not to forget to turn it on. Uh, the thing that's good for us is on Monday mornings, usually I know I, this is what, what I do, is I'll look at the things that happen over the weekend and just randomly pick some uh, to try to figure out. Or I might read an incident report, and based on the incident report, so I think I'm going to review the white one camera on this one. And so that style checks and balances. And so the way the system is set up is that uh, when they finish at the end of the night or end of the day, they have a docking station that they, they put the camera on, and it downs all, downloads all the information uh, into a server. And based on that, any of us, uh, whether we're at work or we're at home, we can log into the system and we can see what's going on. Uh, we can see that uh, officer's actions, and based on that, uh, if there's some, if there's a complaint, so the person comes up and says, "Hey, you know, I have a complaint about this officer did this or did that." We said, "No problem. Uh, let's let's figure out when it happened, and we can go and review the guard body on camera with that citizen that has the complaint. Okay. Uh, if they want to view it, or we can view it, and based on that, on what we see, we can report back to them. We can get with the officer if there's some training issues, or maybe there wasn't anything that the officer did wrong, but maybe some places where we can improve." We'll use that same body-worn camera and put it out to roll call. And everybody in the department can look at that particular video, that incident, and they can learn how we can improve. Uh, the good thing about that uh, camera system is once it starts, it's recording all the time, but it's not downloading all the time. So once you hit record, it backs up 30 seconds. So anything happened 30 seconds prior to the officer turning it on is still captured. So let's say right now you and I are having a conversation. Somebody comes in, they start shooting. Or they started anything. I hit my button, even though that's already occurred, it got 30 seconds prior to that that it backs up and reports. Okay. So it's a pretty neat system. And we can't dock it. That's the right. thing. Officers can't go in and delete frames from the video. That's right. That's okay. Where our system, I'll say this the system that we currently utilize, you cannot do that. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's, it's uploaded. Uh, there's a separate entity who has that and it's stored. And so, and it's available to us when we need to retrieve that information. Mm -hmm. Now, that's a costly endeavor for us to actually oh, put that in place. So every officer that has one, uh, it's right at $1,000 per camera for every officer to have it. Hmm. But it's like a cell phone bill. It's about $100 per month storage for every officer that has it. Every month, every officer, $100 uh, per month. So you can see over a long period of time how that gets very costly in order just to store that information. Uh, but we think it's important. It's important for us to be transparent and for uh, checks and balances for the officer to understand that, hey, you know, I can't just do and say anything that I want to say because I'm being recorded. 
And it's also for citizens to be able to say, hey, you know what? On the Spartanburg Police Department, they're doing it right. If mm -hmm. I have some issues, we can go back and meet with Kim. Now, are y'all, a lot of times, sometimes we see footage from, from incidents, and sometimes we don't. Are y'all obligated to release this footage, or is it just like up to, like, how do y'all decide what goes in, goes out? Yeah, normally, if it's someone directly involved in the incident, I'd like to see the footage. Four, four year requests are made for the footage. Mm -hmm. As far as just having this, having the live stream is sent out on a regular basis, we do not. And, and the reason being is if you're involved in the incident, uh, you can request to see it, but anybody can't just come and say, hey, I want to see somebody's video. Because it might be your neighbor, and your neighbor says, I don't want you to see what I have. I have a domestic in my house. Why are you entitled to see what happened at my house? And so there's mm -hmm. some safety things that are in place. Some, some privacy, privacy things that are right. right. Yeah, and then sometimes there's, there's children involved and, uh, that just happen to be there, and so we can't put people's children's faces out there. Now, if this is an incident that we know that needs to go out and public needs to see, we may release it ourselves uh, right. in order to be transparent. Uh, and, and the other reason is uh, it would be very difficult if we had to get every video out because every person that's not involved, we have to black their face out. Or right. every child that's not involved, we have to black their face out. Mm -hmm. So those are the kind of things we probably have to hire a full-time editing team right. in order to do that. And we have production capability, but if we did that for every, right. Right, every video that we take, Right. And I guess I asked that because also well, I want to get back to the murder of George Floyd. Like they I guess like if it makes national news, I guess they feel like they're obligated to like release the footage so people can actually see. Even though we seen plain as day what happened, I guess they wanted us to see it from like the officer's point of view or not. I guess that's why it's like why they want to release that footage. Well, once, once that video is out there, we have a situation such as it's in your best judgment, I think, to get as much information out and be as transparent as possible. Mm -hmm. Because that doesn't change. That video doesn't now there may be some other things that we learned through our investigation, but once as soon as certain information we get out, you don't want to do anything that's going to jeopardize anyone's uh, privacy, their safety, uh, or just going to hamper or hinder the investigation in some kind of way. But uh, you have to balance that with trying to get as much information out to the public as possible to uh, because we know that a lot of times that, that gap or that void is filled with misinformation sometimes whether it's good, bad, and different. So I think it's, it's wise that when we can to share as much as we can. But we generally do that if for a case of that magnitude, you probably going to do the constitution over those who are investigating it's going to be an outsider. So the other day when we spoke, I believe, it was Officer Chauvin, they was charged with third degree murder, then it was upgraded to second degree murder. How do you feel like was that was that enough, do you think, or should it be more than that? It gets a little tricky. I mean, and when I say tricky, um, you don't want to uh, as prosecutors. And they have and, and sometimes people criticize prosecutors and DA's offices for taking so long. But trust me, some of those folks are behind the scenes trying to look at all the evidence that's present. They're watching videos. They keep trying to ask citizens who recorded on their own personal uh, phones or cameras. They're trying to get that information. They're trying to interview witnesses so they can gather all the information that they can to make an educational decision on what charges or how they want to proceed mm -hmm. further. Um, in this case, again, you know, I, I hate to speak on charges and things that should happen in another jurisdiction, but I will say this. When they look at those incidents, they have to make sure that the crime that they're going to charge that individual with fits that incident. Um, 
him being a law enforcement officer working in the capacity of a police officer, yes, we saw what happened. We saw uh, at the hands of that officer uh, the killing of, of George Floyd, but they have to be careful on the actual charge they uh, bring forth because if you pigeonhole yourself in a charge, and then he's found not guilty of that charge because, well, those elements of that charge does not fit, then what do you have at that point? You don't, you don't want to overreach. Right. For example, right. first degree requires premeditation. That suggests that I went out, I intended, I planned to kill you. And I think that, that would be hard to prove. Right. When he woke, now, now he woke up this morning, or when <laughs> he was going to that call, he said, I'm going to go kill this guy. Right, right. He, that's, he couldn't have thought that. Okay. And so that's the premeditation part of it. That's why first degree at this juncture hasn't been they can, Okay. Mm -hmm. I know they're crying for that or really crying for that, but if you go make that charge, you're not going to be able to make that conviction and then there's going to be a problem. Right. Yeah, I, I guess. be realistic because each, each crime has what's called elements. Mm -hmm. You know, like for example, the, you know, the parents disregard. He obviously beat that. He showed. He didn't care about Jack with the way he was doing that. So beating the third degree was easy. The second degree, now I will say this, each state is going to have different statutes, so they're a little different. So we don't have a murder in the third degree in South Carolina. You have like involuntary manslaughter, manslaughter, murder, murder, two, that type of thing. So it varies, but just trying to be informed about what's happening up there. They went up to two, but they threw another thing in there, uh, another charge that you put to make it a little more easier to convict, but where you satisfy the elements mm -hmm. called felony murder rule. Mm -hmm. say, say I went and I went to beat someone up, but I didn't mean to kill them. Mm -hmm. But during the course of me beating them up, I punched the person, the person fall, bust their head on the concrete dies. Well, I break into the house. I don't mean to kill anybody in the house, but I didn't get to go, go in there and break into the house. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, we break into the house. The homeowner sees me. I scuffle with him again. On my way out, I do something. I, you know, I end up killing him. It wasn't my intent initially, but he's killed nonetheless. Right. There's a thing called a felony murder rule, which means if you were committing a felonious crime and someone died as a result of doing that, that commission of the crime, you can be charged, and it carries a stiff penalty. Okay. But the elements of it is easier to reach than that first degree or whatever, but it's going to give you almost the same amount of time okay. uh, as far as if you're convicted. So, you know, again, not to get all in the reason on the legal aspect of it, I'm not a lawyer and anything like right. those lines, but just dealing with law, just knowing that if you overreach on your charge mm -hmm. and you don't reach a conviction, you, you really have done the victim of the crime. This okay. Is. So kind of just going over, just a quick overview real quick. So first degree is Premeditated. Yeah, that's really the, pretty much in any state, that's one of the, the main elements that is premeditated. Okay, so so what about the second and the third? Just give us an overview of like what's those the difference between those. What well, I would recommend you do on that though, to be fair to you, what to your listeners, okay. is to pull the statute, the statute from that state. From, from, from that the state. state, okay, okay. And it'll list the elements. Okay. Um, that would be a fair way to do that. Okay. Each, so each state's a little bit different. Okay. So okay. If you're doing it for South Carolina, just, just go in and, and you can look at the South Carolina Code of Laws and pull those statutes, and it's going to spell out exactly what gotcha. those elements are. And that's for any crime. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Same thing in, in Minnesota. We did the same thing. Now, the Attorney General has taken over that case, and he's the one that came in with the second because, and again, just listening to 
that rationale was he should have known that applying that particular technique on the person that for that amount of time mm -hmm. could result in result in and it bumped it into an element that they know they could reach with the second bridge. But I think what he did to enhance though the chance of success in court, the which when he imposed that felony murder aspect okay. uh, to it. Now, I was gonna say I know they they were charging the the other three officers. What had they came out and said what they'll be charged with yet? Yes, or? eight and another bed in a felony. Okay. Okay, so they'll get just as much time or generally uh, and again it all depends. I don't want to say yeah, maybe because it all depends on the judge and the mm -hmm. sentencing. Uh, it can, but it'll it'll be interesting to see how they Because for me this is watching that video. I just feel like they're just as guilty as the officer was because they two. It was two other ones that was holding them down, and there's another officer that was just standing there. So they're like they're basically like an accessory to murder. Mm -hmm. So it's right. like that's, that's, they that's, should be. That's, that's pretty much what it is. That's what the eighth amount of money mm -hmm. is. It's kind they were there. They they were complicit. They were involved. Right. right. Um, so we're kind of going to throw another another one. Talking about they were there all apprehending him. He's a force on him. And unfortunately, he passed, and now they all come. They right. all have some responsibility. So, but I, but I, I will be, uh, I don't think you can say they're going to get the same amount of time. Mm -hmm. I cannot say that. Okay. I think, and I think it's really important to understand that when it does go to trial, there's a lot of people that's going to sit on the jury. The jury is going to be made up of different people. And each side is going to be fighting their part. Right. And so it only takes one or two to not agree. For to determine the sentence, mm -hmm. and so I think we have to be real careful when you talk about did you make the right charge? Because if there's a doubt and we didn't make the right charge, can you imagine how upset America is going to be if people get off? And so right. they're thinking now we have to do this right, right, because we need a conviction. We have to have a conviction because people feel like justice wasn't served if they mess up a little bit. And so mm -hmm. even though we saw that, the prosecutors, if they don't have all the information right. If they could mess up on one little thing, what makes one of those juries doubt that they're making the right decision, and then there's not a conviction. And it goes back, I know your question about, you know, everybody saw it, what took so long, but that's exactly what I was right. trying to get to. It's like, they have to make sure that they have their ducks in a row, uh, like a better term, but they got to make sure that everything's right on their, in their investigation in order to bring forth those charges. And I know everybody wanted everything quick, you know, we live in a microwave society, mm -hmm. we want everything now, and we did see it, but it's... And the, the determinations, they were done quickly. I can understand that. Mm -hmm. The charges based on the because they came relatively fast in the broad scheme of things. But now they got to go slow to go fast. They mm -hmm. got to take their time to make sure doing their investigation, they've got all the eyes, crossing all their T's, as both of my colleagues suggested. If you go in there, this person get up on a technicality because there was something that was not done, that is tough. The two things is, um, in any investigation, you want to you want to bring truth or fact to the forefront. Mm -hmm. So what's something to be proved beyond a reasonable doubt? Okay, that's kind of just pretty consistent. To me, too, the worst things can happen. If we don't do our thorough job and someone get off who shouldn't, or if we did a, didn't do a thorough job and we put somebody in jail who shouldn't. Mm -hmm. So it's it's really important that we do our due diligence we we do the job right. Like I said, go slow to go fast. We take our time and do it right. Make sure we investigate every lead and exhaust everything we possibly can to make sure we got to do this.
And that's why I'm I'm always kind of shaky because I'm like, even though we've seen it plain this day, it's like we see time and time again where unarmed black men are killed and then officers end up walking away scots free with, with nothing happening. And for me, I'm like, I just feel like I don't know why. I just like, hopefully he, he deserves to get charged. It's just to me, when I just see it over and over again, something just tells me, you know, they're going to find a way to, if he, if he does go to jail, he's just going to get a little bit of time and then he's he's out of there. I just feel like, I don't know. I For me, I just feel like, and I've heard over and over again, like the system is not set up for the black men. And I just feel like they may just get away. I'm correct at time to I'm not wishing the outcome one way or the other. Even though my, my gut feeling is that yeah, I saw what America saw. Mm-hmm. Okay. But it still has to go to court. And as Major Little John suggested, you get 12 jurors pulled from the community, you never know. Mm-hmm. And depending on the laws of court and what's allowed in and what's not, we can have a very different outcome. But we saw Eric Garner, that situation. Mm-hmm. Technique that was employed in that case was still within that policy. Was still within, uh, this person was, he was exonerated, he was charged, but he was in a, being found not guilty. Um, but that was tough, even though we saw the video. Right. So I would say I think the videos are important and I think they help get convictions. For example, I would say, and I say to South Carolina, I'm proud to say, situation on charge, not charge. Given the shot in back five or six times on video. Now, if it had just been his story, it would have been fighting over the taser and the gun, and he shot him. But no, we know that wasn't true. The man was running away, wasn't posing a threat of danger, Absolutely. and he shot him in the back multiple times. That officer was terminated, he was charged and convicted, and was given a substantial amount of time. Mm-hmm. In the Donner case. Absolutely. And, uh, I'm sorry, not the Donner case. Scott. Yeah, the Scott case. Oh, Scott. So okay. I, I would just say this there has been more accountability late, mm-hmm. even though more is needed. Absolutely. But uh, I can tell you probably 50 years ago, seven years ago. Right. right. Now, 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 as a citizen, I asked you gentlemen this the other day. It's hard to watch this stuff. So just, just a scenario. Just say we see somebody, this man almost died on the ground, and we just decide, you know, this is too much. We're seeing it too much. We just want to step in. And we just, you know, either just try to easily remove the officer or we have to just push them off. What happens to the person who tries to step in and break it up? I would just say you have to be careful. I, mean, I heard a person here say, officer, he's having trouble breathing. Mm-hmm. He's trying to tell John a warning. That, that's a tough call, mm-hmm. uh, to be told honest with you. Um, and the reason I say this is this, and they could probably tell you the same thing. I've been involved in situations where my career that were affected the law for and the person ain't in distress like this gentleman was. So I don't want right. to mix up your question. But we have people say, oh, y'all, you can take my boy to jail. This is going to come and try to rest, take right. the rescue from us. And we're not, we're just doing our job, which is somewhat different than you're asking. Because you're saying, but if you see some of that dire yeah. situation, I think you still have to take great care because now you have you interjected, yeah, you you have interjected yourself into that situation, and right. now you don't want to be a victim of whatever violence that may come. Mm-hmm. Although we're trying to protect the citizen from being injured by law enforcement, uh, or even a private citizen. I mean, say same scenario as a private citizen. Right. Uh, I would hate, I'm, I'm never going to tell you as a private citizen, citizen to get involved in the law enforcement business in May. What that female did was what I suggest folks do. Mm-hmm. Record it. 
ask, plead. Um, but that is a tough situation. That's, that's a tough. tough right. That's, that's a tough I mean, that's tough. I mean, that's really tough. And I don't want to ever suggest someone get get involved because I don't want to put your life in, right. in that kind of danger. Now, chances are, if you ran, and ran over there and knocked them off, and yeah, you might have got ended up getting arrested yourself. The man's still alive. You might say that's a win. If you say I did that because, right. but the only problem is you don't have the backdrop of him past that, that serious injury occurring to help him. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Right. So, it's, right. so you, you risk getting seriously hurt yourself mm -hmm. and not knowing how the courts may see it. But under that scenario with the, with the video being shown, him having difficulty breathing, the blood coming from his nose, there was a number of, there was several right. telltale signs where Imagine I was talking to them, they said one of the officers said, hey, we need to let him up and park or get off him or something. But they just didn't hear it. I, I don't yeah. understand why. We still don't understand why after he was secured in the hand, don't make sense. why he wasn't put in the car. Right. I mean, we're not there and it's hard. You don't want to second guess, but what we're able to see uh, from what has been put out today is, is really yeah. good. And, I, and I, you talked about what we say to our officers. Uh, we talked about this several times. And, and one of the things I brought up to them is, if you look, the police car's right there. Mm -hmm. The police car's right there. You can see in the picture. All they have to do is put them in the police car. Mm -hmm. And so hopefully that conversation with our officers, they'll know to do that same thing. Mm -hmm. uh, they'll notice, okay, this, this person is handcuffed. Let's go ahead and do that. Now, now back to your question that you was asking, uh, one of the other things you could do is, they were videotaping it. You could also call 911. You could also call 911 and say, hey, this is what's happening. This is what these officers are doing. Send me a supervisor out. Yes. So those are some of the things that you can do. I would suggest those more than getting involved and getting yourself hurt. Uh, I would get on the phone. I would call 911 and say, this is what's happening. And by explaining that, you're going to get other officers coming and hopefully those other officers say, hey, look here. But that's the thing. These officers are supposed to be doing their job they and protecting them. They do. But we agree with you. supervisor oversight. For whatever reason, they've got locked in. I don't know why. But to make this point, boom, you're sitting there three minutes into this thing. You see this man suffering, right? You call. Most of us can get to the scene mm -hmm. in a relatively short time. Might have got there just soon enough to where this man doesn't Or that supervisor's on the radio says, he says, says, hey, what you got going on over there? Right. Does that make that officer that say, hey, wait, wait. think about what's happening? You see what I'm saying? Right. I'm on the way over there. I just got a call. From a citizen, what, what's going on over there? I'll be there in a minute. Mm -hmm. right. Because all of us are supervisors. We'll get on the radio and we'll say, hey, I'm not there. Uh, what you got? Right. You know? It's just like he has something, maybe a personal vendetta or well, something. See, he will just, you, like but that, you can't prove you it, can't though. Prove it. Right. Stuff. You can't all prove it. You know is, is by that conduct and action, which I'm proud to say that Cyclone Peace Chief came out, boom, just like that. That was wrong. Mm -hmm. That is that really. That is not who, that is not what we do. That is not who we are. I was very proud of that. And we talk to our officers a lot about yeah. it. Yeah. Don't make it personal. Yeah. I mean, people people do all kinds of stuff to us, but it's yeah. not personal. Uh, like if you and I were in an argument and you said, well, you know, Major Little John, I'm not doing that, da, 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 da. You say, Carlos, this piece of paper right here is a warrant. We need to take care of this. How are you going to take care of it, Carlos? I'm not mad at you. I didn't sign this one, Carlos. Mm -hmm. They did it over at the court. The other guy that you got in an argument with last week, he had this one sign on you. You need to take care of it. How you going to take care of Carlos? You see what I'm saying? We right. have a conversation. Right. right. I say, say, Carlos, look, me and you can handle this. But if you don't, then Carlos, I'm going to have to call some backup. And if I don't have enough backup, I'm going to call the sheriff's office. Then I'm going to call the highway patrol. 
because we need to take care of this paperwork. Wouldn't it be easier just me to take care of this? Right. You see what I'm saying? I agree. I'm mm-hmm. having a conversation with you opposed to saying, no, you're going to do what I tell you to do because I got this warrant. Right. You know, me and Carlos, we have a conversation. This piece of paper right here says, I need to do my job. What's your name's on this warrant? How you going to take care of it? Mm-hmm. You see that? Right. Absolutely. And that's the way we train our officers to have conversation with people. Mm-hmm. I can't say about other police departments. Right. I'm just telling you about the Spartanburg Police Department and how we do things. That's the beauty of the code. I don't want to be involved with the hiring, which is extremely important, and the training, but the oversight mm-hmm. and the teaching and the reminding and making sure different perspectives and our experiences held at the table. That's the value that I would just put in this plug and I'll say it again. So if you know anybody who wants their career law enforcement, send them my way. It's a color. Please come on because it makes us better uh, as an organization and as a community. You said yourself, and I would never be one to say I'm going to just put all white folks and like a little black folks and just whatever. But having diverse, no, to me, when, that, when I see an agency that is diverse, it lets me know they're progressive minded, they're open, that there are thoughts and different opinions at the table. So I feel there will be a sense of fairness, or at least will be heard in that agency. But but I expect, regardless of who the officer is, the artist I mentioned before, to show you respect and apply the laws of our land in a fair and equitable manner. It doesn't matter. Absolutely. I want to, I want to get to the, the protest part of everything. Okay. You know, it's been about a week and a half now. I know I think I believe the funeral was today, but people are still protesting because, of course, we want, we want justice. And, you know, one of the things, for some reason, the narrative always gets gets changed when African Americans, when, when we see violence against us and then we want to protest. And they all, we always hear, you know, this is not the time. This is not the way to do it. So I want to know from you gentlemen's point of view. Of course, I have him on my T-shirt, Colin Kaepernick. When he started this a few years ago, and for, and first of all, first of all, just to break it down, he he sat peacefully, and then uh, uh, Army Green Beret Nate Boyer told him instead of sitting down, kneeling would be a sign of respect. So then they still said it was disrespecting the flag. That narrative changes. So now that people are protesting, there was a riot and things were, they were, and I hated the fact that they were, you know, burning down these buildings and tearing up these buildings and looting. But when we tried to do it peacefully, nothing got done. So now that it's, now that we took it another way, not just us, it's just people in general started looting and, and everything. Now it's like, now they're getting attention. But what would you gentlemen say is like the, the proper way to protest because we did it peacefully, it didn't work. So now that people are taking it to their own hands, now it's like. I gotta disagree with you. You say because we're burning and we're looting now, now we're getting attention. That's, we've done that before. Mm-hmm. We've looted before. Right. Uh, we looted in California. Watch riots. I think you mentioned we talked about this before. It happened 30, 40 years mm-hmm. ago. That's true. Rodney King incident. We looted, we tore up our neighborhoods mm-hmm. during that time. So I, I don't necessarily agree that looting is helping. Mm-hmm. Uh, what looting and uh, destruction of your neighborhood is doing is getting away from what the issue itself is. Right. And that's the death of George Floyd. Mm-hmm. Now we're turning the cameras to, wow, this building is burning. Or they're busting out this window. And look at what our African-American mm-hmm. kids are doing, our African-American. That's what's, so that, I, I think, by doing that, is doing a disservice mm-hmm. to what the actual cause should be. Uh, and it's talking about reform. It's talking about change. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I'm not naive to think that things in law enforcement profession is perfect. Absolutely not. We have some missteps here within our agency. 
And I, so that's why it's always good to keep training and always talking to officers and having that honest and open dialogue. Mm-hmm. So when you talk about protest, I don't think the destruction of your own neighborhood. No, I, I don't like it. That's what I'm saying. What I'm saying, what we're seeing is folks are tearing up their cities in hopes of what? And people are saying because we won't change. But right. what are you changing at this point? What are you changing? You're, you're causing more destruction. So let's get back to the protest. We've had several protests here in the city, almost daily. Mm-hmm. Um, what I am proud of is that the folks who have come to us, they'll reach out to us and say, hey, we want to do a peaceful protest at this location. We want to do a peaceful protest at this location. And we have been in partnership with those individual groups to do that. I'm all for that. It's when you start disrupting some of the, I guess, the normal business of the city. You start tearing down people's uh, businesses who worked hard. Right. Both white, Asian, black, Hispanic. You're telling them, how is that improving the cause of uh, equity? Uh, when right. you're tearing down your local businesses or what have you. So I just disagree with that. So yeah. Chief can talk well, about well, some of that. Well, I would just say we understand, again, personally, professionally and personally, right, right, right. The anger, the frustration, yes. the hostility, all that. Mm-hmm. The right to protest, I'm for it. Matter of fact, I would walk with any group mm-hmm. who's protesting this incident right now. Mm-hmm. I would glad that I would be at the front of the line, arm and arm, with anyone who wants to do that. But I cannot the captain's point, say that the destruction of property and harming other people, for example, we had a few little skirmishes here in the city, unfortunately, where some people trying to come through the roadway who were not engaged, who were not being able to believe that people jumping on the cars and throwing their cars, that's, that's counterproductive. Uh, because now I got to thread a needle between protecting your constitutional right to process, to peacefully assemble and protest your government, your mm-hmm. grievance. Okay? That's what the Constitution said. They don't say we'll burn a club and be the bullet folk because you man. I mean, so I get it. I think to me the real attention of this is the sheer number mm-hmm. and the coordinated right. consistency right. Mm-hmm. is what's driving this. Mm-hmm. Not the loop and the Because like I said in the protest group, you generally got those people who are really committed to the cause. You got your rubber rousers who just say, hey, this seems to be shut up, don't just go and join. Then you got that criminal element, they they ain't even one of these. They're gonna take advantage to do things that they shouldn't be doing. It, but that ain't about the cause, it's about just tearing stuff up. It's right. about stealing, it's about loot. Why does breaking into the public store stealing watches and clothes and stuff got to do? Now, true, don't get me wrong, if you ain't had stuff, and this is, I mean, some of it is control, some of it is just a want because you have a hat. I get this, there's all kinds of underlying dynamics like that. But I'm gonna tell you, and I'm glad to see the young people leading this group because mm-hmm. I think that's powerful. Because Dr. King and all them, they were young, mm-hmm. but they learned also from the old heads. And what we found out back then is the pocketbook. Wow, think about it. Think about all the businesses now who are coming out, speaking out, because they know we we spend a lot of money. Don't make a whole lot of money, we spend a lot of mm-hmm. money. So you, you, you hit the pocketbook. That's why the boycotts work mm-hmm. back in the day. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the city is. Work back in the day. Now we don't have had a sitting problem anymore, but the, the, the money piece still is extremely powerful. Right? Mm-hmm. So I would just say that protesting is good. I'm all about it. We understand it. We will march with you. Right? But what we can't do is allow other innocent people have their rights infringed upon at the same right. time and have them be that. Think about it. Say, say, 
Say if another group was out protesting, they didn't look like us. Mm -hmm. Your mom, your dad riding through downtown. downtown. Mm -hmm. Somebody started rocking their car. Started trying to pull them out of the car. Mm -hmm. How would that make you feel? Oh, I absolutely wouldn't like it. It'll yeah, bother yeah. me. Yeah, see what I'm saying? We don't right. look mm -hmm. touch that. We're better than that. Mm -hmm. We really are. But I'm telling you, it's the number, the coordinated effort, the boys, because we got to transfer to, to the point. What we tap on the street ain't going to change under the laws. What mm -hmm. we got to do is get into you know, their committees in your local area. You got to get first off voting, mm -hmm. register to vote, then go vote. Go find out what committees on your city council that pertains to or the citizen review or public safety committee, civil service. Get involved directly. Right. Instead of having things done to us, get involved and do for ourselves. Mm -hmm. You know, so uh, I get up and say, well, now just touch, touch just a little <laughs> bit about, about their point. You know, when you talk about law enforcement, we talk about serve and protect. Mm -hmm. We don't get to choose who we serve and protect. Right. We protect everybody. everybody. So if you're doing something that's tearing up somebody else's business, you're pulling somebody out of the car, regardless of who they are or whatever your protest is, you can change the, the dynamics of who you want protesting. Mm -hmm. If there's innocent people involved that's being hurt, we still have a duty to protect everybody. Not We can't pick and choose. And so that's what we struggle with. Yeah, we want you to protest, but we also have to protect innocent folks. From Absolutely. Hurt. Yeah, yeah, it just now I didn't want it to sound like I'm okay with no 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 with but it just to me it just felt like you know of and I, I wasn't I was born in '92 so I'm not sure Rodney King was like right around that time but for me it just felt like we we were just we just were so voiceless for so long but now it's like we felt like this was our last resort like this is what we had to do for them to finally start making a change and unfortunately I hate that people are losing their business and things like that but it's like. What else, what else are we supposed to do if you don't want to help us create change? And it seems like sometimes when we when we protest and we do these things, it's, it's like it starts pushing the envelope for them to, you know, charge these officers and different things like that. That's kind of what I was. Okay. Right. I, I, I'm not mm -hmm. but I, I still think the thing that really made a difference here is the video, though. Much like the church bombing when the girls were killed back in the day in mm -hmm. Alabama. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and when also when the mother of Emmett Till, mm. the John left his casket up mm. so they could see, face. and it made the tragedy real. That that to me, seeing that man basically slowly executed, calling for his dead mom, plus the sheer number of people all across this country constantly coming, that to me is the game changer. Seeing mm. that, just like I said, I was seeing my son. There's a lot of folks that saw that too. Okay, and 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 so, I, and I'm not saying that that that, that the violence that have played some music, we're going to do something because we're going to protect stuff. But it ain't the real change. It, it can it can create some superficial, short term, lip service type stuff. But the real change, I'm telling, think about this: the whole civil rights movement was about what? It was the right to vote, mm -hmm. equal protection of law, where we want the subject to redline housing discrimination and all this. So we got to make sure that we do one of the main things that all of the, 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 the our ancestors protests mm -hmm. did because they realized that was the most important tool. Mm -hmm. Not on the land, not being able to read, not being educated, all that stuff, but one of the main things that kept us from enjoying full citizenship was the right to vote. Like I said, the first thing was hit them in the pocket. 
Yeah, the second thing that caused movement to get us to where we're not, trust me, things are much better now now when I was born. I went to second grade school. I went to the color bathroom and the color walkthrough. Okay. The thing that changed me to hit them in the in the minute pocketbook, but when we finally got that voting rights act passed and we went to the polls, we saw voting people who were more progressive minded right. and did things more to our benefit. That but cannot stop. That can't stop. Mm -hmm. If anything, you do more. Don't lose, we can't lose the ground we gain. By the efforts made by those, but, but what happens now, though, we got to take the torch. It's okay, how do we advance that ball further? And right now, I think, again, just the sheer volume, the diversity of the group, the folks of the group, and just like you know, we're tired of being tired. I really do see, I feel something different about this. Absolutely. And I surely hope so, because like I said, I ain't got long on there for my children. Right. And you do. And I want things better for you. That's why I said, I'm willing to lock on, but I don't want anybody here. I don't want anybody coming here to tell us why we're trying. When you see somebody trying to do something right, be part of that, build on it, and hopefully other people. But that's how we bring about the change. Yes, sir. Absolutely. <laughs> I want to, another part of the protest, I want to, if you gentlemen, just touch on as much as you can. I don't know how much you can talk about it, but last week when everything was going on, the president tweeted this, and I, and I wrote it down. These thugs, we put that in all caps, are dishonoring the memory of George Floyd, and I won't let that happen. Just spoke to Governor Tim Walts and told him that the military is with him all the way. Any difficulty, and we will assume control. But when the when the when the looting starts, the shooting starts. Can y'all talk about that? What do you think about the president saying something like this? I will say this: there have been a lot of irresponsible statements, non-productive statements made <clears throat> at the federal state level, maybe even local, but definitely the federal level, and. I don't think it was appropriate. It's not helpful. It's divisive. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing more to say about it. I don't support those, those comments. No way, no how. Mm -hmm. Because to me, it shows a lack of understanding of American citizens' right to peacefully assemble and four steps in silence. And we don't turn our military on our citizens. We are not right. the combatants. We're fellow citizens, or when I say we, I'm talking about American people overall, and in this particular case, black America, American citizens who have a right to express their concern and have their concerns heard by this government. So how how can we hold when we talk when we talk about accountability, how can we hold officers and, and everybody accountable when when the head man, like you say, says something divisive like this? How can we hold people accountable when EOTE hold? <laughs> right. I'm telling you, I, I know I sound like a broken record, but I'm telling you, maybe because I was a political science major, but I just know that a lot of people lost their lives to get that tool which we knew was one of the most. And think about it Jim Crow, voter suppression back way back mm -hmm. then, it's still happening now. So we can't be discouraged. Okay, how many steps it take to get registered and to go vote? We got to do it. And I was, I'm glad you mentioned that because that's, that's what <laughs> I was going to say. Voter registration is important. The same energy that folks in our community have now about the death of George Floyd, we need to have that same energy Absolutely. in a couple of months or even prior to that because we need to get out. And if you want to hold protests, you want to hold demonstrations or events, let's hold voter registration events as well. Um, you know, by no means are we saying forget about this other, but in conjunction with while we have this energy, while we have these people out wanting to do something, let's make sure all these folks are walking the streets or on the side of the road with signs. Make sure those folks have voter registration cards. 
Make sure they understand where they're supposed to go vote. Make sure they know who the candidates are on the ballots. Absolutely. Make sure they know the dates. If they don't have a ride, put your neighbor in the car with you and y'all go together. So those are some of the things we need to do as well. Yeah, these are, those are yeah. part of the next steps. Right. Part of this, you know, going forward, there's going to be some criminal justice reform out there. Mm-hmm. Some national standards, some review of some use of force issues. But that's just one piece. Again, the, the original sin of our country cuts across the board. The racism, institutionalized systemic racism, isn't just criminal justice. That's what's at the forefront now, and as it should be. Mm-hmm. But still, the housing, the education, the health, all that still is, is just as important. So this energy, again, we got to take this, this energy that we have now and this commitment right. and put it into what's going to actually make a change. And I'm telling you, voting and, and having elected people who are, are sending a different message from the one you just read, that's more inclusive, that's hearing right. their constituents and willing to do something about it. And also, people like yourself, Look, I want y'all to run, I want you to learn, wherever you live, see what, how you can actively engage in your community, help shape you, lend your voice to it. Whether you mm-hmm. run for city council, or you sit on the public safety board, or you just with any a nonprofit something that works with the city, mm-hmm. something come with. And what y'all have right now, you can go talk to the mayor or council folks in there. And while you're talk, just like talking to us now, you can share that you they can learn from you and you can learn from them. Absolutely. But that's what helps make the change. But you gotta get the audience, you gotta get like since you, you got a platform. You got a platform. Yes, sir. Like I said, y'all, y'all have you got more power than you realize. Yes, sir. And we, we love to have these conversations because it's, it was, it's so important. And that's why that's why we do this. I got a few more questions. Did you want to? I did want to want to say one thing because I don't want it to slip out. Uh, loot to shoot. Uh, irresponsible. The reason why I say that is you have some professional police departments. You have a lot of police departments. But you also have police departments that have one officer or two officers. And I hire, you know how I told you about our hiring process. Mm-hmm. Well. I'm just going to hire my brother's cousin. I'm not doing the background checks. So you have those small police departments that are doing those kind of things. And you said, what can we do to have change? Require police officers, police departments to have professional hiring processes, uh, to go through a process, to have policies, uh, have accreditation standards. Those are the kind of things that make, make a difference. And then that statement that says, loot, we shoot, officers know that that's not even something that you can do. Right. We don't even, that's not even, would even fall in a deadly force situation. So that reason why I said that's irresponsible, no one in professional law enforcement would even think about that. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you wrote a little bit where that phrase comes from. Yeah, yeah, back in, yeah. back in 67, yeah. you know, I had it wrote yeah. down. Mm-hmm. And they say he he was also chief of, in Miami. He was like bigotry. He displayed right. bigotry back then. This is the reality. Trust me, we, we know. Like I explained to you before, my family, the mistrust, distrust. But law enforcement was at times used as an arm of forces that were not good for us. Before, a lot of laws that we have on the books now, you know, you think about Miranda and things like that. I mean, there's a number of different rules of engagement we have now that we didn't have back then. And there was some, we just come to your house, we get get out your house, kind of be in that way. Glad those days are gone. Just like being being entitled to an attorney. You know, if you can't right. court attorney, one will be appointed for you. That was a time when you didn't get an attorney. You didn't have that. Mm. You know, so 
there have been case law over time that have changed, not just how it affects us, but just how police conduct themselves overall. And, but I still say having, and it's an intentional act, we have to intentionally diversify our work to ensure that we have, like I said, different perspective, perspectives at the table. And, and uh, like I said, it matters. Yeah, I got a few more because I know you gentlemen gentlemen have to go. Oh, thank you, and we appreciate (laughs) it. But one thing I want to touch on also is why? Why do you think it is that makes people? I don't know. Like, I guess society just look. I guess in a way, look at African Americans as as threats for some reason. Because like, even in the media, they portray us a certain way. Like sometimes, even with these incidents, like with Dylan Roof uh, and all these other mass killings. When they when they do these mass killings, they'll say, "Oh, this was a nice guy, and and he was doing this and that." But then when it's an African American, it's like, "Well, back in 1995 or something, he had this kind of ticket, or he has come from a broken home." It's like they portray us a certain way, but then others they make them look like they were just a nice guy and they just got caught up in the situation. Not just being I don't have an answer for that other than there is you're the other. Mm-hmm. It's been scoped throughout the beginning of time to win favor or to get position or power or what have you, and that hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, we have people who risen to power politically by preaching and teaching fear of the other and making them believe in other people. Mm-hmm. That was done to us from the very beginning, you know, from being declared less than human and going forward and made to be seen as an evil creature, more or less. I'm sorry, I gotta step out to keep okay. calling. I'm sorry. Yeah. All right. All right. And, I, and I'll say this: I don't know how to control any of that. I think the media, the media is responsible. Mm-hmm. Uh, certain parts of the media are responsible based on what they show. <coughs> at the end of the day, the better the ratings. You know, does that increase ratings? I mean, look at our news. The first thing you get is the first little bit of bad things at the beginning. Right. Um, and it's not just I think the African American community. I think it's whatever is shocking off. You know, I'm on both sides of it. Uh, like the chief says, I'm in uniform and I'm black. So let's say if I did something wrong, uh, I'm going to be on the news. I can do something simple as if I get shoplifting, let's say if I go out and say, you know what, I'm a shoplift today. I'm going to be on the front page of the news, mm-hmm. right? Uh, somebody else can go and shoplift. They might not even put them on news. They might not even have to hear about it. Mm-hmm. And so I think the media, whatever their agenda is, um, that increases ratings. I think that's part of the problem. Right. A lot of the things that we're saying, you start talking about, um, as we talk about um, the incident that happened with Mr. Floyd, um, it's shown over and over. And one of the things that you see is the rioting, is the looting. You see that over and over. But also, there's been a whole lot of peaceful protests that right. have been talked about. They don't, they don't show that. Right. Exactly. I'm glad you said that because the myth is, I mean, the myth is perpetrated. Saying something over and over again, showing something over and over again, you, you start believing that something's true. There haven't been as much rioting as there have been peaceful demonstrations. Right. That's why that was all I was saying before. It wasn't so much the rioting that has moved the needle, but it's been the, the, just the masses involved in peaceful demonstrations, not just across our country, but it's been going international. Right. And I think this, well, I remember my teacher. Um, one of my teachers in broadcasting at Upstate, he told us all the time, he said, if it bleeds, it leads. That's it. Oh, that's if it, it bleeds, it leads. So if, if it's something bad that's going on, mm-hmm. 
they'll talk about that first. Mm-hmm. And it just seems like, and that's that's how I feel like, like for us African Americans, they just view us, they paint this picture of us as just these awful human beings. Like we all we do is wrong. And it's like just if just one or two of us do something wrong, then it paints a picture that all black people are this way. But see, we get paid but like I said, relishing from we're black men too. Mm-hmm. We get that with same suspicion. Mm-hmm. And, and like I said, but like I said, things are so much better, gentlemen. But as I said, with the greatest country in the world, I think, but we still have a ways to go because of some of the underlying racism that still exists. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's, it's tough. I, I got a couple more. Um, one of my favorite people I spoke with is uh, I spoke with him yesterday. I, I tried to stay in touch with him quite often. Um, Mr. Ali Muhammad, he's he's an African American and he's one of the owners of True Laundry Detergents. It's, it's black owned. And um, he went. He went. He fought in the uh, Vietnam War, and he's a student under the honorable, uh, honorable Elijah Muhammad. So he studies his teachings. So when I talked to him yesterday, I, I, and I put it down on my notes, I asked him. You know, I told him what we were doing. I asked him with some of his advice and what kind of advice will he have for officers. So I, I wrote down some of these, and I want to see what you gentlemen think about it. And then what would you add to it? He, he said for officers, they they need to stop sticking up for officers. Clean up your system. Spend time in the projects, meaning he he went as far as to say, if you can, stay the night there. So you can kind of see the conditions that these people have. So for officers to do that as well. And he said, change comes in the heart, and also we need to amend the laws. Those are some of the things that he told me that he felt like officers should take part in. So what? how do you feel about what he said? And also, what would you, if you had anything, what would you add to it? No, we're saying amend the laws. What, what, what well, he, he just said, I guess he was saying collectively, we just need to go amend the laws because he, he always tells us, you know, the system was not designed for a black man. You know, it, it's not. He said that's why they build prisons. It's a business to keep us incarcerated. He said they will look at how many of us dropped out of school and said we need to build more prison systems. So he, he was basically saying we need to amend these laws just overall in general. Well, well I have a problem with that because that's where the change comes. There are some things that need to be changed legislatively to help advance our, our cause. When I say our cause, our country's cause, or reach this ideal where everyone can, you know, like what pursuit happens to stand possible, maximize your efforts, your talents, and ability. Because right now, that, that is limited, that's hampered by, by some bad bosses. So I agree with that. Now, the part about staying on, I think, mean, our folks are heavily engaged. Mm-hmm. Mentioned before, it ain't so much, I guess, spending the night, but being involved in volunteers and mentoring, coaching. Uh, I mean, everyone around this table, we, we do that. Right? Mm-hmm. The boys, like I said, chairing Boys and Girls Club, and my kids. I mean, we, we're we involved and we encourage our people involved. As a command staff, we try to lead by example. Uh, the, the, one of them said that on top. Oh, he just said, uh, those change, change, change comes in the heart, don't stick up for the officers. Speaking speak of the off, yeah. that was a big one. Yeah. This is one of the few times that I can recall, as I said before, where most of the time, because of the investigation, it used to be kind of a thing. It wasn't so much about sticking up phones. I mean, even though we did, now there would be times, I can tell you, circle the wagons and trying to pin the indefensible. Mm-hmm. There's no question that used to be done at times. Then after that, when you say, okay, yeah, pretty bad, my case feels anything, because we used to not speak out on ongoing investigations. And not having all the facts. We don't want to be irresponsible either to say talk about something we didn't know enough about. Right, right. Because we won't want to do it us either. But we're at a time now though where I think you have to, when you do have information, to the point that you can, 
speak up or speak out mm -hmm. is extremely important. And I was glad to see that done in this case. I mean, it was almost instant. I mean, we saw, I'm telling you, the video made a difference. Mm -hmm. No one can say, I mean, it, it was, that was, and that's what makes it, you mentioned this before, that's what made this incident yeah. different from others because we saw firsthand, everyone saw it. It's clear what occurred. You have incidents in the past that you only got a big, small piece, right. or we never saw it at all because it wasn't videotaped. Or right. and so a lot of us, we say we were quiet or we didn't speak out on the forum because we didn't know enough information. Mm -hmm. And you got something happening 500 miles away, and it's like, well, we getting stuff third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seven, eight hand information, and it's irresponsible of me as a law enforcement executive, uh, officer, or what have you, to speak on something I really don't have knowledge of. So now. I'm maybe putting false information out there as well. Right. So we would sometimes refrain, you know, and, and now again, there are some occasions that things happen and we were silent. Uh, but I, I, I'm telling you, if nothing else, I know this incident has, has changed some of that because so many organizations, both law enforcement executive organizations, um, other uh, private came out, businesses came out, athletes came out and said, mm -hmm. hey, we all saw this. The private citizens, I don't think anyone in America saw that incident and thought that was okay. Right. I don't think anyone. And, and right. if they did, God shame on them. God yeah. Right, exactly. They, they, had, they had a problem with right. the country if they didn't see right. anything, right. See anything right. wrong. Yeah. And I will say some of the things that, that's on here, uh, we as a whole agree with. I mean, some of the things that he's saying is correct. Don't stick up for officers. Well, we have policies and things in place, what well, we don't. Mm -hmm. Well, another officer will say, that's one of the things we do, say, look, if your buddy's doing something he shouldn't be doing, what are you going to do? How are you going to handle it? Yeah. And so officers realize that now. So I think don't stick up for the other officers. I agree with that. And a lot of agencies are already doing that. Yeah. Uh, now, across the country, a lot of times, like I said, we won't speak about it, but we'll speak about it on what's going on in our agency. Because mm -hmm. what we do is we look at videos, and we've had officers, uh, we were talking about this the other day, that did some things, so, oh, no, he got to go. Mm -hmm. and, and it's things that we found out ourselves right. By just looking at it and said, this officer did something that's not right. He can't work here anymore. Right. Yeah. And, or, he, or he needs to be disciplined. Or right. she needs to be disciplined. Mm -hmm. Or she needs yeah. to have, we have uh, extra training. Or mm -hmm. whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, we've done those. We've been doing those things for years. Mm -hmm. um, and, and again, I always say this. As progressive as I think that we are as a command staff and as a department as a whole, do we have missteps? Yes. Mm -hmm. And there's a difference between doing something on purpose and making a mistake. Right. Because, you know, like I said earlier, I'm a regular guy. I, I grew up working at McDonald's. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I'm a regular guy. I just put this uniform on. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to make some mistakes, just like everybody else. But did I make those mistakes deliberately? Mm -hmm. You right. know, if you got somebody that's, their heart is not right, and they're doing things that's mean to people on purpose, we got to deal with that. Right. Mm -hmm. But if I just made a mistake, and it's a training issue, we can fix that. Mm -hmm. And so, so those are the things that, that we try to have in place. It's in, to the point of not sticking up for him, I think it's important for you, Jim, when you see things to speak out because right. at the same time, it's still putting your life in danger as well because Absolutely. like what happened there in Minnesota, now they look at it, people, some people like, you know, like we say, after mm -hmm. police, they think all cops are bad mm -hmm. and that's not the case. So mm -hmm. I feel like it's important then to speak out because <clears throat> something like that mm -hmm. can happen here or it can happen anywhere and, then they, and they just blame everybody for Absolutely. it. So that's why I feel like it's important. Yeah, but that's what we're doing now. I mean, unfortunately, that's what we're dealing with now is, is law enforcement officers, professionals here in Spartanburg, uh, in state of South Carolina, we're dealing with the brunt of what happened, like I mentioned before, miles and miles right. away, mm -hmm. uh, because it tarnishes our profession. 
we know what I know what's in my heart and what I try to do. Um, and someone else made a mistake or someone else did something intentional, it's going to affect all my brothers and sisters that wear this uniform. And it's hard. I mean, it's hard. And, and Chief made this comment before. A job that was already difficult, it made it more difficult. Hard, yeah. and, and so that's the tough part. That so, is the tough part. So, so Carlos, now that, now that you know us, you know us, you kind of develop, develop a relationship with us, right? Mm -hmm. um, let's say if I was your cousin, I was your brother, mm -hmm. how would you feel about me coming to work every day in this uniform right now? I wouldn't have an issue with it. Because I'm not the type of person that portrays a street guy or a thug anyway. So mm -hmm. if, if I have my father, like I said, my father, he used to work in the prison. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, he, he grew up, he, he he worked in the prison. So I don't have, I wouldn't have an issue with my family members working in law enforcement. Cause well, I've never been that type to be out in the street anyway. So I, I'm actually absolutely fine with it. Mm -hmm. And of would course- you be, would, would you be afraid for me to go to work every day? I will, I will have some nerves. I will have, I, cause, you, cause you never know. Mm -hmm. I mean, we never know as, as regular citizens anyway right, what's going to happen right, from day to day or right. what's, or if we're going to return back home. So, of course, as an officer, I would absolutely have a, a – I would be worried because you guys are in – you guys are in great danger mm -hmm. because, like you said, when you go to these calls, you don't know what's going to happen. So I, I, I would definitely have some some nerves when you, you go, go to work. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can't tell you what to do if that's what you love to do, mm -hmm. have in it. Thank you for serving and protecting us, but at the same time – if I was a family member, would you say, man, you might need to think about doing something? Uh, I don't know. I, I would, if that's what you love to do, then I, I'm fine with it. Because um, I can't pay your bills. Right. So, <laughs> so, so if, if that's what you had to do. Now, if I was like filthy rich or whatever, and I was like, hey, man, I would, I would definitely say, you don't have to do this if you don't want to. If you want to start your own business, then I, I'll take, I'll help you well, out. You see, that's the thing. Uh, all of us at this table, and, and again, uh, just recently, I reached my retirement team here in the state of South Carolina. These gentlemen have that already. Uh, one of the officers we talked to earlier today, um, and, and I, I mean, you don't know how other officers are thinking, uh, and this was a white officer, and, and he came up to me, he said, he thought about us through all of this. He said, I wasn't even here, I was out of town, and I thought about you guys, especially mm -hmm. you guys who are at retirement age or beyond. He said, you guys are not doing this for money. You're not doing it for financial gain. Y'all are here because you still care about the community. Right. And like I said, I could walk away. He could walk away many, many years ago. Mm -hmm. He could have been gone. Um, and so, but that's not why we're here. We're here because we still want to have a positive impact on folks internally here at the department, but also externally to say, hey, hey, we're still doing a mentoring. We're still working. Right. We still uh, want to be a guide uh, for those children that are lost at this point. Because um, I don't want them to be in that number of the prisons. Like, hey, by the age of such and such, and you drop out, guess what? We're going to start doing these statistics to how many prisons we, we don't want that. So back to Mr. Uh, Muhammad. Mm -hmm. Some of the things we can do is encourage folks not to drop out of school. Let's start working on that. Let's start working about doing some education. Let's encourage our kids, hey, I know it looks grim and it looks like uh, you may think it's off, but you got to stay in school. you got to get education. And not only just getting your high school diploma, let's go get a trade. You know, let's let's get a two-year degree. If you don't want to go to four-year school, get a two-year degree. Let's start working on those things so we get folks in the workforce and then productive citizens. So you don't have to feel you got to rob, steal, drugs, or just walking around aimlessly and doing those things. And I'm not saying all our kids are doing that, but some folks don't feel like they have a choice right. because of their conditions, because of where they live. Let's encourage them, hey, stay in school because mm -hmm. it's better. You can live a better life. You can live a better life. And what are you saying right now? 
That's what we do. We are in the communities doing that. And I think, about, uh, I think you said spend time in the projects. Mm -hmm. well, that's where I grew up. <laughs> I mean, you know, I know about it. I still have family there. I, I, I mean, I but but not not to say they don't, but it's it's a little bit easier because, like I said, you're African American officer. That's like that's your environment, mm -hmm. as opposed, I guess, in the sense you said, maybe white officers mm -hmm. need to go spend more time there. That way, they have an idea of what's going on. Because for us, okay, you say one of these bad neighborhoods, our antennas are already up, mm -hmm. so we go there. Okay, we we are we are already cautious for one of them that that may not have grew up in that environment. Mm -hmm. They may be thinking, shoot to kill, mm -hmm. just. Off, off rip because this is a bad neighborhood. So he was saying, you know, let them spend some time there. Let them get get a relationship with the with the community because if, if you're gonna work in that community, yeah, there has to be twofold. So we do have officers, white males and females, that work in those areas that you mentioned. Mm -hmm. Now, it's not enough for them to be working in those areas. They have to engage with our with those citizens, right? But the most important, they can't they can only they can't engage by themselves. Mm -hmm. Those true. citizens have to be open. To you know, a white officer, as you mentioned, you right. mentioned the first thing you say, you feel more comfortable with us. Mm -hmm. Okay, now let's switch it. Yeah, let's say there's three white males here or a white female here. Is the conversation going to be the same? What we're encouraging, say, our officers be open to conversations, and what we want to encourage our citizens to be open to those same mm -hmm. conversations with the officers. I can't do it on my own as right. an officer. I can't talk to myself. I need mm -hmm. to, to welcome We want to engage. People, for example, nice. The weather's getting warm. People sitting out playing. We tell them to get up. We're right. talking, folks. We're, we're, we're not serving the morning mm -hmm. and involved in an investigation, mm -hmm. writing a ticket. You try to establish a relationship. Get, develop some trust. Develop some dialogue that will hopefully lead to a trusting relationship. Mm -hmm. And that's that is really important. And we have uh, some officers. Do that. Like we got Officer Lee Rains. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna tell you what. He's off. I mean, he's taking people to work. I mean, his personal mm -hmm. car. So we got some folks officers that don't look like him, right? Right. Yeah. It's so me. we got some officers yeah. doing that. But, but like what they're saying is different. Like, say I can go and I can go in the neighborhood and I can say, "Hey, girl, what you cooking?" You know what I'm saying? I can say that, mm -hmm. but they probably couldn't say it. Right. So what you cooking? Let me have some of that. What you cooking today? And you know they're gonna laugh. Say, hey, yeah, come on in. It's just the, it's the environment is different. So they they're in a, they're in a hard position. Uh, mm -hmm. I think like the chief says, they can do it. But like the chief said. Bottom line is you treat people uh, like you want to be treated. Absolutely. And I said I think that goes a long way. Even if you, um, even if you don't have the relationship from the beginning, I think at the end of the day you have to still treat people the way you want to be treated. Absolutely. I, I think that's that's key also. But like I said, for me, like encounters with police officers, like I try, I'm not going to just. I have respect for everybody, but like if I see a police officer, I'm gonna speak and I'm, I'm gonna keep going. It's just it's just that fact of okay, you see somebody that's, that looks like you, you feel like they're more relatable. So okay, you you just at more ease. I think it's just natural that you just more at, more at ease. So this is my final question though, um, for a solution. What would you gentlemen say? One of the things I I, I felt like personally, I I, just, I think when we see these kind of crimes, I think the penalties definitely need to be severe. Um, you take you take anybody's life, you definitely should automatically, you know, and you're guilty of it. Something we've seen clearly on footage, I think you have to spend life in prison. If you take somebody's life, you should definitely automatically spend life in prison because no matter what, even though we say no justice, no peace, to me, it'll never be any justice because, like, that daughter, she'll never get to see her father. They'll never get to see their husband, brother, cousin. So anything 
they, they no matter how long they get sentenced, it's still, to me it'll never be enough. So I was saying I'm all for even if pensions that the retirement, anything that those officers were supposed to get, I'm all for giving to the victim's family. Any anything like that because they'll never see him again. So what would you gentlemen say like would be kind of like a solution to trying to put a stop to the uh, killing the unarmed men, black men? Well, I'll just say this. It, it all comes down to accountability. Mm -hmm. We're going to set responsible for actually did that end up. But, but it goes back to what we've been saying from the beginning. Mm -hmm. You have to hire the right people. After doing thorough background check, to the extent you can. But even after that, you're still going to have people making poor decisions. Those are bad actors are still through. Even though 99% of us are going to come do it right at 1% do us in. Um, but oh, the oversight, our supervisors, and us being here, then, then I'll defer to my colleagues to finish it out. But I'm still here because I want to make sure this next generation of officers understand this philosophy that we have. Because I don't want to go back to when it was detached, where we just come in, rain, pain, terror, warmth, whatever they leave. We, we want it to be still this community based, community oriented, relationship building ordeal. So the state here try to give them the experience of our years, our expertise, and encouragement, to train them up the way they should go, and they'd be ready to take our place. That to me is so important. I think, as he's mentioned, sports training, and I've kind of touched on this before, mm -hmm. I think we have to have a standard across the country where all police departments are doing it the same way in a professional way. It won't matter if 99% of us are doing it correct. If there's 1% that's still continuing making us look bad and shooting the unarmed black guy. Mm -hmm. you see, so it won't matter if everybody's doing it right and you still have 1% that's not. So you have to get the entire country uh, running a professional police department. Um, that's going to be the answer. And, and I will say this, go back to the accountability piece. Beforehand, years past, we weren't held accountable for bad conduct. Mm -hmm. But now I think we're in a position at a point in America where we are holding more and more officers accountable. Mm -hmm. And they are being sanctioned. Mm -hmm. And I think that that will help uh, on that end. Because we will, unfortunately, no matter what, we'll have some other bad actions. Mm -hmm. right. But we hope that it's diminished because of the national standards. The higher, for example, the psychological testing. Some of the things that we're doing now to try to ensure you're not getting someone who you already know has an aggressive attitude. And, and, and you know, if you can screen some of that out even before you even bring them and put them in the uniform, that would be a big benefit to us. I think uh, more departments. I think we're, we're already moving in the right direction. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, absolutely, we are. Um, you know, and I know to, I don't want to misspeak, I know to your, your viewers and, and our citizens. Uh, they feel these incidents are far are too many. Uh, they're coming on, coming around too too many times. Anytime one person uh, loses their life at the hands of law enforcement, it's unjustified. It's too it's one too many. Um, I want people. I want to remind folks that there are thousands and thousands of interactions between law enforcement and citizens, uh, white males, black males, and you name it. And folks go home at the end of the day. Um, Unfortunately, these incidents are horrific. Um, they happen, and, and folks, like Chief mentioned, I hope these folks are held accountable uh, for their actions. Um, 
my solution is not necessarily on the back end, you know, as far as the convictions and other mm-hmm. the solution should be on the front end. The front end. How can we prevent those things from happening? That's where the solution lies here. I don't think they're gonna ever go away. Of course, they're never gonna go away. Um, but we need to do our best both training. Well, back to Chief said, selecting those individuals to get them to our profession. The, the kind of training that we're, we're giving our officers and making afford, uh, available to our officers, uh, but that concentrate. But also interactions with our public, mm-hmm. uh, opinions from our public on what they can see uh, us and how they want us to police, how they want us to be in their communities. Right. We have to have that open dialogue with our citizens and say, hey, how are we doing? And, and we try to do that. We, we do the surveys. Uh, we have events. Uh, we send emails out. We try to have that uh, hey, tell us how we're doing. Your ride along. Yeah, we do the ride along. Right. Mm-hmm. Citizens Academy. We, we open, honestly, we open our department up. And, and, and I'm sure a lot of departments are doing it. Uh, we're opening it up so folks can come in and see all the processes that are that are, are inside our agency. So they, they have those questions that you have answered. Right. And so we have to continue to do that. And we can't be shielded and behind right. those blinds and say, hey, don't look at us. Don't come in our building. Right. Or same thing with you as a citizen. Hey, don't come in my house. This has to be a collective effort. And I think also just acknowledging that this is an issue, like like I love to see when, during these protests, it's not just black people doing it, it's, right, it's white right. people as well. I think now that they've seen something like this, it's like now that everybody's in this together and, and not just as black people, it's just people of all color. That's, that's, that, I think just a, everybody acknowledging it is really going to help right. the situation. Right. 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 Can't stop. Right. And I'm not necessarily smart. Protests can't stop, but the acknowledgement mm-hmm. can't stop that folks that look like us have been treated unfairly for decades and decades and decades. Folks have to be, yeah, it's hot right now. I mean, hot, the topic is there. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it can't go away next week or two weeks from mm-hmm. now, a month from now. Folks got to continue to understand that there's an issue. Uh, we have to do better. And then, our, you know, again, our brothers and sisters that may not look like us, they have to continue to acknowledge and say, hey, what can we do? To make it better. Mm-hmm. So again, it ain't just us. The onus is not just on African Americans. It's everybody. All of us to make this better. And not mm-hmm. when it's just convenient it's or, just or in, mm-hmm. just when it's in the news. In the news, exactly. Yeah, right. I mean, there has to be knowledge. It is encouraging to see like the owners of Ben and Jerry's and Chick fil A and several other businesses come out very strongly and acknowledging the white right. privilege. Right. And willing to use their power. To um, to assist in bringing mm-hmm. about the change, the fact that they're acknowledging the wrongdoing, they realize that their their brothers and sisters is part of America who are sick and tired of being sick and tired because the changes have not occurred today. And also, just with acknowledging, I, I still feel like the just just putting out a statement is still not enough, though. Like I still yeah, want to see them put some action, action. right? Agree. Because anybody can just put out these. You have PR people that they can just put out these yeah. statements and say we're we're, all, we're supporting them, and then after that, like you said, everything dies down and yeah, nothing else is said. That, back to this energy being sustained. That's true. You got to say you have to You get no waste tired of those old issues to say you got to stay at it, stay focused. But it's also engagement right now. I agree to it. It's it's, it's all I'm beyond dialogue. We always got to talk, but that dialogue at some point has to translate into action. Absolutely. You guys, I got one, I got one more thing. I, I need to thank a few people. Do y'all have anything else you want to touch on before we get out of here? Is it? I would just say this. 
Again, uh, there may be others who desire to protest and get their frustration or to show their support for what I ask them to do so peacefully. We respect the right to protest. We'll protest with you. We'll gladly we'll march and walk with you. We stand with you. We're not the other. We're not the enemy. We are public service and we're here to serve you and protect you. Uh, and I just, again, anyone come to Spartanburg, just come by, shop, let us know, and we can get this done peacefully and make a difference. Awesome. Anybody else? All right. Well, thank you, gentlemen. I appreciate you your time. Um, thank you for this session. We, it's something we definitely needed, like I was saying, because if we don't have these conversations, like how can we bridge that gap? So I, I want to thank you, gentlemen, for taking the time. I know it's been a lengthy interview, but I really appreciate you, gentlemen. Um, also, I want to thank a few people. Thank you, Miss Charlene Davis from Charlene's Home Cooking. Thank you, Ben Hall from Big Ben's Desserts. Uh, Dr. Lakeisha Hallman from the Village Market down in Atlanta. Um, Dr. Martez Prince, Premier Pharmacy in Charlotte, North Carolina. Also, Marcus Burnett, SUV TV in Atlanta, Georgia. And also, Dr. Nika White, who does great work with uh, diversity and inclusion over Dr. Nika White Consultant Agency. So, thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Hope you learned something from this interview. Until next time, keep chasing the dreams. This is Across the Line Podcast. Thank you for listening.